Hello, 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 Miami Dolphin fans, and welcome to the Same Old Dolphin Show, part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Aaron, are you feeling as good as I am right now, knowing that the reign of terror thrown over the entire National Football League by the New England Patriots may be at an end. Ding dong, the Pats are dead, the witch old Pats, the wicked Pats. I don't know, that that didn't really go how I wanted it to go, but anyway, the, the sentiment is the same. It's a joyous occasion. The wicked witch of the West is dead. He uh, A house has been dropped on him, and who dropped the house on him? None other than Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill comes along, a hero comes along, with the strength to carry on. <laughs> oh, man. And eliminate the New England Patriots from the first round of the playoffs. God, it's so great. It's so great. <laughs> Anybody who's been a Dolphin fan for a long time knows that you know, we don't often have a whole lot to cheer about this time of year. So we find our joy in bad things happening to teams we don't like. And in this case, it's the New England Patriots being eliminated from the playoffs. It's fantastic. I, you know, listen, we can't really say it was Ryan Tannehill that did it. He had a pretty terrible game. What, what he, I think he was like 8 of 15 for something like 72 yards with a touchdown and an interception. But the fact is that he managed to come up with a couple of big passes in the moments where it was important. And Ryan Tannehill... And the Tennessee Tex or Tennessee Tennessee Texans Tennessee Titans, I should also that would be probably odd, that would be an odd team name. The Tennessee Texans. Well, I mean, they are the former Houston Oilers, so I guess there's something in that there. But uh, I should probably mention that Derrick Henry had something to do with the Patriots' downfall as well. So that's kind of wonderful. We're pretty pleased about that. The Patriots are gone. Also, the Buffalo Bills are gone. The Bills, of course, could have done us a huge favor, done the Dolphins a huge favor by eliminating the Houston Texans from the playoffs early and ensuring that that first round pick in 2020 that the Dolphins got from the Texans was a little bit higher pick. But, of course, the Bills managed to choke away a 16-0 lead only to come back and tie the game at 19 and force overtime and ultimately to lose in overtime. But... Man, I don't want to get down the rabbit hole of talking about these other playoff games, but Josh Allen, for as much as he's been a stud at times this season, as far as his athleticism and big arm are concerned, he looked every part the inexperienced quarterback late in that game. The moment was too big for him. And, I mean, the fact that that game even got to overtime is kind of a miracle based on how Josh Allen played down the stretch. But that that's sort of neither here nor there because this is the same old Dolphin show. And as it turns out, I'm sure there are some of you who are hearing this podcast today because it's showing up in a place that it hasn't shown up before. And so that leads me to this announcement that... The Same Old Dolphin Show will now be available in the main podcast feed at DolphinsTalk.com. So if you are 
Subscribe to the same old Dolphin Show on whatever your podcatching app is, whether you you follow us on SoundCloud, whether you subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it is, you will still continue to get the show as normal. However, the show will now also be available to anyone who subscribes to the Dolphins Talk dot com daily podcast we are now moving into that main feed as well which is um, something that we're really excited about and we appreciate mike and tom for inviting us in and giving us this opportunity basically it gives us a little bit larger audience and it gives the main dolphins talk.com daily podcast feed a bit more content um, especially as we head into the off season when things start to start to slow down a little bit. So those of you who are hearing this show for the very first time, welcome. This is the same old dolphin show. And basically the premise of the show, the show was founded because, well, the dolphins have spent a long time basically being the same old dolphins. They, they sort of do the same kind of things over and over and over again for these past 20 some odd years of mediocrity and every once in a while there are glimmers of hope but ultimately you know everything sort of falls down upon itself because they are the same old dolphins and that's sort of the lens through which we view everything that is going on with the Miami Dolphins organization but as we come to you now here following this 2019 season it is a time of optimism for the franchise. And we're going to sort of spend this episode doing a season in review, looking back at this season and taking a look at some of the big moments of the season, some of the controversies of the season, all of the big moments. At the end of the show, we're going to do our year-end awards. We're going to talk about whether or not we feel that this was a successful season, and then we'll talk a little bit about what our specific off-season plans are. But for those of you who are joining us for the first time, again, welcome. We're excited to have you on board, and we're excited to be on board uh, on the main DolphinsTalk.com podcast feed. Um, if you, For those of you who are hearing us for the first time, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Amplified to Rock. Aaron is at Aaron the Brain, and the show is at Same Old Dolphins on Twitter. So we hope that all of you who are hearing us for the first time will hop on board and give us a follow. We appreciate everyone joining in the conversation, particularly as we head into this offseason, which I think is going to be a pretty exciting one for this organization. And if you're liking what you are hearing, you can head over to Apple Podcasts and download, rate, review, and subscribe specifically to the same old Dolphin show on Apple Podcasts. And you can also do that with the DolphinsTalk.com daily podcast. And you can hear us both ways. So we hope that everyone will leave us a a positive review and a five-star rating. It really helps us out a lot. All right, Brain. You ready to dive into the season? Or I guess before we should dive into this season in review, we've got some news to talk about. Because after our last show, which was recorded on Monday, the Dolphins promptly fired Chad O'Shea. And this was, I think, pretty much to everybody, a big surprise at first. I don't know that too many people saw this as a move that was to be expected. I think as you sort of take a step back and look at it (laughs) with some hindsight, maybe it's not quite as surprising. But when this move was announced on Monday, Brain, this was a pretty surprising firing. Hugely shocking. I mean, we spent, what, about 24 hours 
talking about what a great job this entire coaching staff did. And Chad O'Shea was right up there at the top uh, because of the job that this offense was able to do in spite of having what is arguably the, the worst offensive line we've ever seen, at least here with the Miami Dolphins, and the fact that they were still able to put points on the board, that Ryan Fitzpatrick was still able to be borderline a top 10 quarterback. Uh, every, you know, they had no running game whatsoever, and they were still able to do some pretty impressive things offensively through the passing game. And so Chad O'Shea, who was talked up basically all year after uh, coming over from the New England Patriots, everybody talking about how his his system empowers the quarterback and it's such a great system. And then, you know, Jim Caldwell leaves the team, uh, I think, prior to the preseason or at least prior to the start of the regular season. And Chad O'Shea is thrust into the, you know, offensive coordinator positioned by his lonesome and in spite of a horrible start shuffling through quarterbacks at the beginning of the season the team seems to find their rhythm and you know one of the biggest reasons that they were able to go five and four in the last nine games was supposedly the job that this coaching staff did at both on you know both the defensive coordinator Patrick Graham as well as the offensive coordinator uh Chad O'Shea so to, to learn that he was fired, it was just, what the hell happened here? It, it, it's really a mystery. It was a mystery at the time, and it still seems to be a little bit up in the air, although general consensus seems to be that, I guess, O'Shea played a sort of outsized role in bringing in Josh Rosen because he was a guy he really liked, and it seemed like... There was a conflict of vision of what the Dolphins' top brass, Chris Greer, Brian Flores, expected out of the offense in the quarterback position and what Chad O'Shea wanted out of the quarterback position. So the Rosen trade was sort of a, a step in the wrong direction as far as conflict goes, and ultimately Chad O'Shea was sent out, was shipped off at the end of of the season. And so then that led to some speculation. Well, can, we, can we talk about that before we before we just brush that under the rug? I guess we can talk about this because as ever, you want to bring it back and put it on the shoulders of Chris Greer. Well, look, I'm not saying that this is what happened, but if this is the reason that's being floated out there, and this is the reason that Dolphins fans are saying, oh, okay, I'm good with this. This is a totally... It, it is a clown show move. It is a, a terrible, terrible move and a terrible way to run an organization if that is, in fact, what happened. Because what you're saying, if this is what happened, is you're saying that you're bringing in a coach from New England that wasn't even the offensive coordinator. I, I believe he was the quarterback's coach. But you're bringing him in. Chris Greer has been here. He's been the head of college scouting forever. He was in charge of the draft. For the first time ever, he's got total and complete say over the roster. If he decides that he wants to, you know, delegate and talk to his assistants and get their opinions, I've got no problem with that. That's, you know, that seems to be, uh, you know, a reasonable 
thing to do. Like, hey, I'm thinking about trading for this quarterback that's out there. Let me talk to my my uh offensive coordinator and see, you know, I know New England was uh scouting Josh Rosen as well. Let me let me see what he thinks of him. Let me see if if he thinks he'll be a fit in this offense. And 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 Chad O'Shea says, "Well, yeah, I think he'd be a good fit in our offense." That does not all of a sudden just take all of the onus off of the general manager. This is the general manager's decision. And this is still a guy that has at least for two years, at least for two. I mean, we're not even talking about the fact that he was probably scouting him since he was a freshman or a sophomore at UCLA, but for at least two years, Chris Greer has been in charge of scouting Josh Rosen and determining whether or not he could potentially be an answer to the Dolphins' long, unanswered question of who is this franchise's next Dan Marino or next franchise quarterback. So if he takes the word of Chad O'Shea and says, okay, I'm sold, and it doesn't work out, okay, fine. But if that's if you're going to fire Chad O'Shea for that and then think that, oh, okay, that was totally on Chad O'Shea, well, that that is the weakest possible thing that you can do. And that is just another example of, of Chris Greer being here for over a decade and somehow having all of the good moves stick to him and all of the bad moves sliding off and being blamed on somebody else. You want to give... Chris Greer credit for for good draft picks, fine. I'm fine with it. But you've got to give him the blame for some of the bad moves as well. And you don't ever blame an offensive coordinator, a first-year offensive coordinator, for a draft day roster move. That is just ridiculous. Because I guarantee you, if Josh Rosen ended up lighting the world on fire, nobody would be coming in here and saying, oh, Chad O'Shea made a hell of a draft pick. That would not happen. Chris Greer would be taking all of the credit. So if that is what happens, or if, if that is in fact what happened, it is total BS. It is a weak move. It is in fact the, it, it is in fact terrible news for the organization because what it tells you is that at the top, you have a guy that's passing the buck and a guy that is not even really, doesn't even have the conviction to make the picks and make the trades on his own. So if that is in fact what has happened, I've never been more on board with the fire Chris Greer train. So would you say that if that move was in fact what happened and we don't, Again, we don't know that, and I'm I'm positive there's more to the story than what we know at this point. But would this, in fact, be a same old Dolphins kind of move? It's so same old Dolphins. It is no. It is. It reeks of you've got a bunch of guys making decisions, and you don't have one clear vision. And then you've got a guy that you know passes the buck, looks for somebody else's decision, and then when that decision doesn't pan out, he fires him because he says, "Oh, well, we we can't be associated with that." And it's playing the whole politics game in the front office instead of what it seemed like for one glorious year, for one glorious off-season and season, it finally appeared that the Dolphins had figured out this front office and had everybody moving in the right direction, and now all of a sudden that has been thrown into disarray and it appears like it has been for years here that 
It's just a bunch of guys with no plan throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Well, pardon Aaron's French there, but we'll we'll see what happens. Like I said, I don't know that we have the whole story yet, and I'm sure over time we will understand more of that story. So while you may think that things are totally in disarray, I don't know that I'm on board with that yet. But I'm not saying that I'm I'm not saying that I'm convinced that things are in total disarray. But if that is in fact what happened, then yes. Yes, they are in disarray. Okay, well, we're going to move on from the dismissal of Chad O'Shea because that transitioned directly into the hiring of a new offensive coordinator. And the new offensive coordinator is none other than former Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator, Chan Gailey. The Dolphins bringing Chan Gailey out of retirement. He was last in the league as the offensive coordinator for the Jets in 2015 and 2016 after previously serving as the head coach at in Buffalo from 2010 to 2012. Prior to that, he was an offensive coordinator with Kansas City, offensive coordinator with the Dolphins, was a head coach for the Dallas Cowboys back in the late 90s, and he also spent time in the Pittsburgh Steelers and Denver Broncos organizations. And my initial response to this hiring was, oh my gosh, this is such a same old Dolphins kind of move because he's, they're they're sort of going back to the well. But I think up, upon further inspection, I think there is, there are certainly some positives to the Chan Gailey move. And I think it gives some insight into where the Dolphins might be leaning um, in the quarterback search in this upcoming offseason. Chan Gailey is very much about putting together an offense that is flexible and that can change based on what the defense presents to them. Um, and he's also got some experience working with athletic quarterbacks who are able to not just throw the ball, but also move. So uh, the hiring of Chan Gailey has had a lot of people thinking about Jordan Love as a hotter prospect for the Dolphins. And they've also had people thinking, obviously, Tua is still on the radar there. But uh, something we didn't talk about is that it's sort of up in the air at this point whether Tua is actually going to come out or go back to school. We can talk about that shortly in a little bit if you want. But I think that the Chan Gailey hired as much as it's kind of one of those give you kind of pause things. This is a guy who has experience working with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He worked with Fitzpatrick um, with Buffalo and the Jets. So this is, you know, a good move to sort of breed familiarity. And I think maybe the right move for drafting a young quarterback and helping to bring them up and let them really spend the first year under the tutelage of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Chan Gailey. So I think as much as it gave me pause at first, I'm sort of warming up to it as a bit of time goes on. What are your thoughts on this Chan Gailey hire, Brain? Look, I, I like you, when this move was made, I was like, man, what a, like literally the same old Dolphins, literally, you're bringing in a guy that has been here for the same old Dolphins era. Uh you know, a retread. I'll say this about Chan Gailey. He's a solid offensive coordinator. Like nobody is going to say that Chan Gailey is not a good offensive coordinator, but it's not like he's this young, innovative mind. And it's not like, uh, I mean, he literally hasn't been in the league for the last five years. Uh, so, I, I, it's just, it, it seems an uninspiring hire. 
And if the idea was we're, we're firing Chad O'Shea to, to bring in somebody great, then I'm all on board, but it, it just, it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't feel like they're bringing in anybody special. Now, what I'll say is, is that Chan Gailey, uh, again, a solid offensive coordinator has a, has a good track record and Ryan Fitzpatrick had his best year of, had the best year of his career, uh, with, with uh, Chan Gailey back in 2015-16. And that year, he threw for almost 4,000 yards, threw for 31 touchdowns and 15 interceptions, uh, almost led the Jets to a playoff berth. That was a year where the Jets were picked by many to finish last in the AFC East and then almost made the playoffs. So, again, Chan Gailey is not a bad offensive coordinator. I'm sure he'll do a fine job. But... In order for this to be deemed a successful hire, I mean, we've got to see a massive leap because Chad O'Shea, by all accounts, did a good job. And I, I guess by all accounts outside of the organization, because maybe those inside the organization in the know thought that he could have done better. I mean, why else would you fire him? But it's it's still a puzzling move. I don't think it's going to be an appreciable difference, which... If it's not going to be a, an appreciable difference, I'm not going to get super up in arms about it, but I'm also not going to get very excited about it either. That is totally fair. And I think the big question remains because his final season with the Jets, the Jets were up towards the bottom of the league. So the question is out there, and I think it's a fair question, as to whether or not Chan Gailey is able to put an offensive game plan together that is going to work in the modern NFL in 2020? That is the question, and that is what we will get an answer to as the 2020 season unfolds. But before the 2020 season unfolds, we have one other piece of the puzzle that needs to be addressed. And a lot of people, you know, at the beginning of the season, and I think this podcast included, viewed the 2019 season as a way of sort of stripping things down so that this team would finish towards the bottom of the league, end up with a very high draft pick and end up drafting their new franchise quarterback in the draft. When the season was gearing up to start last September or last August, the guy that most people had their eyes on in the Dolphins organization was Tua Tungavailoa. And Tua, for the first part of this college football season, proved that he was the guy and proved the reason for all of the interest in him, putting on fantastic performances, putting up record numbers, and really just doing a fantastic job of reading defenses and and cutting them apart. Uh, A lot of the detractors said, well, he's in a system, he's got great talent all around him, and this and that and the other thing. But then when Tua was out, that offense was not nearly the same as it had been. So I think Tua proved his worth. The problem with Tua was that he ended up getting hurt and getting hurt again this season after a couple of injuries in the past has led a lot of people to believe that this guy has injury concerns and we don't know if he's worth using a high draft pick on. Whether or not the Dolphins will be drafting him may be, in fact, a moot point because shortly after Alabama's appearance in the Citrus Bowl, Tua Tungavailoa said he would be announcing his decision. What, what he said was he would be making his decision on January 6th and announcing it via a press conference. Now, that to me 
screams that this guy has made his decision and the decision is he's coming out and he's going pro. Why would he be going back? To, why would he be holding a press conference to announce he's going back to college? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And if he is, in fact, somebody who is injury prone, going back to school for another season might completely destroy any draft stock that he has. I think there's still a very good chance he goes top 10 in this upcoming 2020 draft, assuming that he gets the all clear from the medical team. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, the idea that he could be going back to school. Um, and quite frankly, by the time many of you are listening to this, he may have made his announcement already. But the feeling is, as far as where I'm sitting, that Tua Tungavailoa is going to announce on Monday that he is coming out and he is a candidate to be drafted by the Dolphins or somebody else. Brain, any thoughts on Tua Tungavailoa and his announcement? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see it going either way. It, I, I, I tend to agree. If you're going to hold a big press conference, uh, I think it makes sense that you'd be saying that you're coming out. If you're going back to school, I don't know if there's as much of a need for all the fanfare, but is there really a need for the fanfare either way? I mean, could it just be, you know, I mean, I mean, if you're if you're coming out, do you really need a press conference to to say that you're coming out? I I don't really know, but I guess I guess the idea there is if if you're coming out and it gets it puts you out in front of the media and you can answer questions. Uh, maybe the doctor is there at the press conference and he helps answer questions as well. And it kind of gets ahead of any kind of speculation and and kind of starts the starts the PR machine moving and trying to increase his draft stock as we get closer to the combine where he may or may not work out, but he'll certainly be poked and prodded. Uh, so I do tend to agree. He probably will be coming out. If he does come out, I believe, I mean, look, it, it all depends on what the doctors say, but if the doctors say that, look, this guy is going to heal, he's going to be healthy and he uh, is going to be cleared for all physical activities, all football activities, and nothing is going to restrain him, then to me, uh, if he's there at number five where the Dolphins pick, it's a, it's a no-brainer. He's the guy you wanted from the beginning. If he's healthy and he's there, you take him. We'll see what his decision is. And like I said, some of you may be listening to this and already know what his decision was. So from there, we're going to take a look now back at the 2019 season and what it was from the Dolphins. As we mentioned, the Dolphins came into this season pretty much as soon as last season was over, and Adam Gase and the Dolphins went their separate ways. You got the feeling Chris Greer was put in charge, Mike Tannenbaum was sent packing, uh, and we had that con press conference with Chris Greer and Stephen Ross. The, the organization made it abundantly clear that they were going to do a significant teardown. Whether you want to say it was tanking or not, we've had that conversation dozens of times. And we're not going to retread those same steps again. But it was clear that the organization was looking to strip down, get rid of all the big contracts, get rid of all of the overinflated salaries and strip things down so that they could put themselves in position to really do a rebuild. And as we approached the season, that became even more clear. Brian Flores was brought on board, and we had this new coaching staff with a winning pedigree, which everybody was very excited about. And then as we approached the start of the season, the Dolphins traded away Laramie Tunsil for two first-round draft picks and a second 
round draft pick. And that made people even further reinforce the idea that the Dolphins were quote unquote tanking for Tua. And this, of course, led to a lot of consternation in the media. There were a lot of people on ESPN, Mike Greenberg famously talking about how this is going to destroy the NFL and how maybe it's not so bad if only one team is doing it, but if it becomes the situation like it is in baseball where you've got multiple teams who are trying not to win, it does bad things for the league. Whatever the case may be, it was not something that I gave a whole lot of credence to because we knew that this was going to be what this year was about. The Dolphins had a very, very inexperienced roster. And if you just looked at the roster from 1 to 53, this was one of the worst rosters that we've ever seen in NFL history. And I and I, I say that unironically. This was not a a great team. Just basically on paper. And the first couple weeks of the season proved that. The Dolphins in their season opener lost 59 to 10 to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, this was before we truly understood just what the Ravens would end up being this season. They finished the season, what, 14 and 2? And the number one seed in the AFC, they were a truly dominant team. Lamar Jackson, the runaway favorite to be the NFL MVP. The the Ravens were just fantastic. But, you know, coming in, knowing what we knew about the Dolphins team, watching them get destroyed 59 to 10 by Baltimore in Dolphins Stadium or Hard Rock Stadium. And you go, wow, okay, this is going to be a long year. It didn't get much better the following week when the Dolphins were shut out at home against the Patriots, 43-0. At this point, things were looking pretty, pretty bad for the Dolphins. And then Minka Fitzpatrick, who had been something of a problem child in the offseason, his mother had made comments about, you know, the Dolphins are playing him out of position and they're not using him correctly. And, and Minka, you know, had problems with it as well. Minka requests a trade. The Dolphins end up trading him to Pittsburgh for a first round draft pick. The Dolphins, listen, it was a situation where Brian Flores was trying to get Minka Fitzpatrick to play in different positions and be flexible. That's part of Brian Flores' defensive philosophy is that he doesn't want to just give the offense the same look over and over and over again because when you do that, it's easy to get picked apart. It's easy to be beaten when you're adjusting and making changes and having guys playing in different spots your defense can be a lot tougher. So as those first couple of weeks, as the Dolphins were trying to figure that out, they were getting beat down pretty badly. And Minka Fitzpatrick didn't want to be a part of it. Dolphins trade him away. And this, of course, leads to, at this point, with the Dolphins having been outscored 102 to 10 in the first first two weeks of the season, Dolphins on pace to be a historically bad franchise, the tanking talk heated up even more. In fact, Dominique Foxworth, who's a former NFL player and president of the NFL Players Association, went on this rant on ESPN's Get Up. What are your thoughts on what they're doing in Miami? Uh, it's unethical and morally reprehensible as far as I'm concerned because we understand how dangerous football is as a game. Putting guys out there in this type of danger is a problem, but you can put that aside. I think as an employer, you have an obligation to provide as safe 
a working environment as you can and also provide the people an opportunity to succeed. These young men have committed their lives to getting to the NFL. And the expectation is once you get to the NFL, the team will do the very best that they can do to make sure you succeed. They are not doing this there. And that's not fair because these guys are physically paying the price. These guys are putting bad film on tape because they're not trying to win. And it's going to shorten their careers. And you know who's going to benefit from them? The owner and the general managers and maybe the potential future coach. These guys aren't going to benefit from it. They're going to be out of the league having their careers ruined by a selfish team like the Dolphins. And he's there talking about players risking their health and this is disgraceful and how could the Dolphins do this and unbelievable it's so awful this team is putting players at risk and they should be ashamed of themselves disgraceful behavior brain what were your thoughts after those first couple of weeks of this awful regular season yeah you had to wonder whether the Dolphins would win a game uh we looked Like a high school team out there, we look completely overmatched. Now, I'll say after the first two weeks when we lost to uh, Baltimore and New England and we were just completely thrashed, the next couple of weeks where I want to say we played Dallas and and the Chargers, those were games where we actually held our own and for for a half in, in each of those games actually kind of outplayed the the opposing team. And then they kind of leaned on us and, 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 and took over. And at that point, you could see, you could start to see that the team was making, uh, incremental improvements. And you, you felt like, okay, this team's going to be really bad. They might not win a game, but it wouldn't shock me if they were able to win a, pull out a couple of games because they were at least moving in the right direction. Things had kind of settled after they had all of that roster turnover. Remember, they had, I think it was, they turned over one third of the roster, uh, just prior to the week one game against Baltimore. And I think that that played a big factor in it. And, uh, and again, it, it spoke to coaching. It spoke to, the fact that they looked so bad the first two weeks and were starting to make improvements that you you started to say, okay, again, this team's going to be bad. We might be the worst team in the league and we still might not win a game, but we're not going to be just a, a an embarrassment to the league. Uh, so... But it, but it looked bad. But at the same time, it was like, Hey, this is the plan. We're trying to tank and we look like we are full steam ahead, projected to be the number one pick. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm all for it. I, I was pretty happy with, with, with the way things were, uh, at that point in the season. Yep. Things were going pretty well. And with the Dolphins offense, I mean, going pretty well if your goal was to get the number one pick. Now, after those first couple of weeks and the Dolphins offense looked pretty ineffective, a lot of people were demanding to see Josh Rosen. They were saying, if we're going to lose these games, let's at least get Josh Rosen in there and figure out what we have with this guy so that we can know if this guy is going to be the quarterback of the future. Because when the Dolphins traded for Josh Rosen on the day of the draft, the thought was, okay, here we are taking a flyer on Josh Rosen. Maybe this is the guy who can be the starting quarterback for the Dolphins this season and be our franchise quarterback of the future. He starts the game at Dallas. He starts the game at L.A., against the Chargers, and as the Dolphins sort of hung around a little bit in both of those games, they still ended up losing 31-6 to and 30-10. to So the Dolphins are 0-4 going into the bye week. 
Rosen continues to be the team starter going into the game against the Washington Redskins at home. And at this point, Washington was 0-4, and it was starting to look like Washington was going to be one of those teams <laughs> with the Dolphins towards the bottom of the league. You had Washington was doing pretty poorly. You had Cincinnati doing poorly. The Jets at this point were not looking very good. So this ended up being a pretty big game because this was, you know, where we're going to find out whether or not the Dolphins we're going to be staked towards the bottom of the league or not. And for most of that game against Washington, the Dolphins looked pretty ineffective. So ineffective, in fact, that Josh Rosen was benched in the third quarter of that Washington game. And Ryan Fitzpatrick came back in. And this, I think, was probably the single biggest turning point of the season for the Miami Dolphins. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick comes into this game where the Dolphins are trailing leads the Dolphins on almost a comeback. I think they were down 17 to three and Ryan Fitzpatrick leads the Dolphins back scoring 13 points in the fourth quarter of this game, including a touchdown with very little time left. And then the Dolphins, rather than trying to kick the extra point and force the game to overtime, instead decide to go for the two point conversion the two-point conversion, famously, the, the screenplay to Kenyon Drake, it fails, and the Dolphins end up falling short 17-16. to 16. But at, this was the first time in this season that the Dolphins were competitive and looked like, okay, this is a team that may be able to at least compete in games, which was what we sort of talked about at the beginning of the season, Brand, We talked about early in the season, our goal was... We knew that the Dolphins weren't going to be competing for anything if the only thing that they could realistically be competing for was draft picks. So we said it would be great if the Dolphins could compete in every game and ultimately fall short so that they could end up with the number one draft pick. And when the Dolphins signed Ryan Fitzpatrick in the offseason, that was something we were excited about because we were excited about this idea that Ryan Fitzpatrick is at least going to make this team fun to watch, if nothing else, and get us with some Fitz magic and, and keep us close in ball games. And this was sort of a turning point. And it proved the following two weeks, the Dolphins were right in the thick of things against Buffalo, a game they ended up losing 31 to 21, but it was a game that they were leading most of the way. And Buffalo took a lead uh, late in that game, 24 they had a 24 to 14 lead over the Dolphins. The Dolphins scored a late touchdown and attempted an onside kick, which the Bills returned for a touchdown. So they ended up winning the game 31 to 21, but it was a game on which the Dolphins competed. Again, after that, the Dolphins went into Pittsburgh against Mason Rudolph and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And for much of this game looked like they were looked like they were in control and that they might go into Pittsburgh and get a big upset on Monday Night Football. Of course, things ultimately turned in that game on a famous play where the Steelers found themselves in a third and 25. The Dolphins brought an all-out blitz and Mason Rudolph connected with a receiver who went all the way down the field for a touchdown. And Brain, this led a lot of people to talking about the fact that maybe these Dolphins were, in fact, tanking. In fact, Marcus Spears, again on ESPN, said Miami really is tanking. Miami really tanking? In this game, well, you even said it afterwards. You thought maybe, this is where you really started developing this theory that maybe Brian Flores was in on the tank. 
Yeah, because this was the this was the third week in a row where the Dolphins seemed in control of a game and then had something fishy happen. If you remember, first off, you go to the Washington game. I wouldn't say necessarily that we were in control of the game, but we were we were on the doorstep uh to winning that game uh and we had we had a fumbled we had a we had a weird uh snap from from Daniel Kilgore where he rolled a snap for the first time in his entire career eventually we would end up scoring the touchdown and instead of going for the tie we go for the win and we call a uh, a uh, you know a, a weird screen pass to to Kenyon Drake who's lined up at wide receiver and Kenyon Drake drops the ball to, so we end up losing that game and then the very next week against Buffalo we have a situation where we're we're up and we're in late in the third quarter and we're about to go up two scores and Ryan Fitzpatrick throws a terrible interception right at the goal line uh and then and then and and then the bill and that ends up being the turning point in that game and Buffalo ends up winning and then you have that third and 25 or whatever it was the all out blitz and Xavier Howard is like playing way off and doesn't seem to be giving very much effort now we then find out that Xavier Howard is put on the IR is it coincidence is it you know was he hurt i i don't know but just 3 weeks in a row we see something weird happen to to eventually to ultimately cost the dolphins a victory and Look, I wasn't alone in thinking, hey, this, there is something fishy going on here. Yeah, so you, I don't know that I ever truly bought into it, but hey, listen, you were, you were putting the pieces together and this is the height of what we called the air in the brain conspiracy theories over the course of this season. <laughs> now, just before this Pittsburgh game, the, fi- the Dolphins sort of completed the strip down of their roster by trading Kenyon Drake to Arizona, and at this point, the Dolphins moved into a backfield of Kalen Balage, who was soon earned the nickname Kalen Garbage because of just his inability to find any kind of holes. His vision was limited, and it was just a bad look all around for the Dolphins' backfield. This, I think, easily the worst season running the ball in Dolphins' history, and we say that knowing that this team and some of those Dan Marino teams in the 80s and 90s had terrible running games. And this game, this running game was even worse. So the Dolphins lose that game to Pittsburgh 27 to 14. And things are looking, well, pretty dire for your Miami Dolphins. They're 0-7. And that leads them to a home game against the New York Jets, who are struggling in their own right. At this point, I believe the Jets were 1-7 coming in to... Hard Rock Stadium to take on the Dolphins. And what we saw in this game was the Dolphins playing a team that was out of sync and out of touch. And we were all aboard the laughing at Adam Gase train because he had been doing sort of a miserable job. And the Miami Dolphins end up putting in a pretty strong performance against the New York Jets and coming away with their first victory of the season, a 26 to 18 victory over the Jets. And the Dolphins would then take that win and go 
to Indianapolis to take on the Colts, a Colts team that was very beat up without their starting quarterback, without many of their offensive weapons. And the Dolphins went into Indianapolis and defeated the Colts, a two-game winning streak for the Miami Dolphins to bring their record to 2-7 and seven after the 16-12 victory against the Colts. And that would lead into a couple of games where the Dolphins, I think, started to regress a little bit this season. They came home against Buffalo, and while they sort of played Buffalo tough a little bit, at the beginning of the game, ultimately, Josh Allen and the talent on the Buffalo Bills team proved to be too much for the Dolphins. The Dolphins fell at home 37-20 to to the Bills. They then went into Cleveland, a team that was having a rough season in its own right, and again, held tough for a little while, but eventually sort of faded down the stretch and lost at home or I'm sorry, lost on the road to Cleveland, 41-24, to dropping their record to 2-9. and And at this point, it was, you were starting to say, okay, well, it looks like things are pointing towards the Cincinnati Bengals game as the game where the Dolphins may, in fact, have an opportunity to play for that number one draft pick. Having won a couple of games in a row and the Bengals at this point having been winless, it was still looking a little dicey. But you knew that the Dolphins more or less still had things in their control with games ahead against both Cincinnati and the Giants, who were another team that was uh, fully on board the struggle bus at this point. So then the Dolphins came home and took on (coughs) the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Dolphins put together what I think was probably their best all-around game of the season. The the offense was doing a good job, the defense was doing a good job, and thanks to some questionable officiating late in the game, the Dolphins were given an opportunity to win it and they did 37 to 31 against the Eagles. That victory, I think at that point brain more or less put the nail in the coffin for anybody who was thinking that this team was going to end up with the number 1 pick. Uh, well, we thought so at the time. Uh, it, it was, it did seem like that. And that was probably the height. I would say that that was the height of dolphin fans real that were on board with the tank and rooting for, for the dolphins to lose games to get the number one pick. That was the height of them just saying, I can't with this franchise. We were on board to, to make everything go our way and we just screwed it up royally by winning that football game. And at the time, uh, that, that really, it, it did seem like that. And it was just that, that conflict that we felt all year long of, you know, as much as it's fun to see the Dolphins win games, ultimately we know in the back of our minds and maybe more in the forefront of our minds this season than, than in most that it was going to be better for the Dolphins to lose football games because that was ultimately going to ensure us the best possible draft pick, the best chance of finally answering that question of who is our quarterback of the future. And that loss really seemed to damage any hope of us getting that number one pick because at this point uh, it looked like uh, Tua was, I I believe at this point Tua was already hurt uh, 
and Burrow was the guy, and there really didn't seem like there was going to be a number two option. At this point, there were still, I mean, there are still question marks even to this day about whether or not two is going to come out or whether he's healthy. So it made the number one pick all so much more important. And then we win this, you know, meaningless game against the Eagles, and it just seemed to to throw the whole plan into disarray. Now, as it turns out, look, we, you know, we'll, you know, I know we're doing the synopsis of the whole schedule, but you know, we end up losing the the tough one to the Jets, where we get the pass interference call at the end of the game that gets, uh, it's a no call, it gets reviewed, then they call it a pass interference, and it sets up the Jets for a game winning field goal, and then we lose that game to the Giants, and. In all actuality, the way it turns out is even after, even after having beaten the Eagles, the Dolphins still, while they needed some help, ended up essentially controlling their own destiny going into the last two weeks of the season. And that's where it all went wrong because in spite of having, what was it, a 16-point lead with like two minutes left to go in the game, the, the Dolphins give up two touchdowns, two, uh, two, uh, two point conversions. The Bengals had to get an onside kick and force the game into overtime. And it looked for a brief moment that the stars had aligned and the dolphins were still going to manage a way to get that number one pick only to pull it out in overtime and, and win that game against the Bengals. And that ended up being the death knell in the, in the uh, hunt for that number one pick. And then the Dolphins end up closing the season strong with a win over the Patriots that some at the time were very upset about because they were like, well, this is going to damage our draft position even further. Turns out that we would have picked fifth regardless. But if you go back to that week before, had the Dolphins lost to the Bengals and then lost to the Patriots, we would be sitting here at the end of the season with the Dolphins on the clock with the number one pick in the upcoming 2020 draft. Yeah, the thing about that loss to Phil or the, the victory over Philadelphia, the thing that was so frustrating for a lot of people who were really pulling for that number one pick was that the Bengals ended up winning that week. So the Bengals got their first win of the season. So had the Dolphins lost that game, the Dolphins would have literally been in control of their own destiny for the number one pick. Alas, it doesn't end up happening. They beat the Eagles. They end up beating Cincinnati and then getting that big win in New England. A victory over New England that cost the Patriots their first round bye, that caused them to play a wild card round game at home against Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans that saw the New England Patriots eliminated from the playoffs at the first hurdle. So in that and in that respect, the season ended on something of a high note. But I think the biggest thing as as the season rounded out, and you sort of talked about those last four games of the season, the, the fact of the matter was we saw this team with this roster that at the beginning of the season, a lot of people thought was among the worst rosters in NFL history, and I think, in fact, probably still is, the fact that Brian Flores and his coaching staff had led this team to five victories was really something that led everybody coming into this offseason on a high. Even if you really wanted that number one pick, the fact of the matter was this team had won five games. They'd They'd won seven games the season before in Adam Gase's last year. So this was... 
this was really, excuse me, Siri. Sorry, my my Siri just going off here. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. You know, so they were only two games worse than they had been last year with a by far inferior roster. So that led a lot of people going into the offseason thinking, okay, things are going in the right direction. And of course, that, that led us to the firing of Chad O'Shea, which leads us to where we are now. The season is behind us and we're heading into the offseason. So Brain, overall, would you say, and this is funny because you, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, would you say that the 2019 season has been a success for the Miami Dolphins? Oh, I, I think this has been, uh, look, I hate to say it and I hate to be cliche and, you know, just, you know, because it's it's the name of the podcast, but the truth is, is that this was a very same old Dolphin season. There's a lot to be positive about. Well, there are things to be positive about, but there are things to be negative about. And to call this an unmitigated success, I think is really just being, uh, you know, being a homer because you had to, you, you gotta admit the plan here was to try to, was to put ourselves into position to get the quarterback you know, in this draft. And we have severely hampered our ability to do that. And if Tua doesn't come out, I don't know that we are in a position where we're, where we can even get that quarterback this season. And then, you know, next season is going to have its own challenges. So we might, we might be, we might have put ourselves further into this NFL purgatory of not having a franchise quarterback by winning a few games this year, a few quote unquote meaningless games. So I cannot say that in that vain that this is a successful season but at the same time I'm not going to say that this has been an utter disaster because to win five of your last nine games with this roster speaks volumes about the buy-in that this roster has with this coaching staff and the job that the coaching staff has done and look I know we fired Chad O'Shea and it's kind of hard to say hey like this coaching, you know, Chad O'Shea did an amazing job, but then he got fired. Uh, it, the two don't seem congruent with each other, but as a whole, for this team to, to win five games, to win five of their last nine games with this roster, with the amount of turnover, with the amount of injuries that they had, and to win a game in New England, uh, where New England was playing for, you know, substantial stakes to win a game against an Eagles team that has Super Bowl aspirations in a game that was really important for them coming down the stretch. It shows that this team made strides. It showed that the coaching staff really had a positive effect on this team. And while I'm not ready to sit here and say that Brian Flores is the next great and a great coach in the NFL, and he's going to be our best coach since Don Shula or even Jimmy Johnson. There are, there, there are reasons to be positive, and we are still in a great position with the number of draft picks that we have, the amount of cap space that we have, and the number of guys that we have found off the scrap heap that are now pieces of the law of, of the potential long-term puzzle here in Miami. So I'm not going to say that it's an unmitigated disaster either. What I'll say is, is that it was kind of 
it was as eight and eight a season as a five and eleven season can be. If that makes any sense, that's an amazing way to put it here. And if you were to ask me whether I thought the season was a success, I would say, and I and I don't mean this as a cop out, I would say it remains to be seen because the Dolphins ended up with the number five pick in the draft. And we know that the biggest thing here was that this Dolphins team was coming into this season with the idea that it was going to lead them to finding a franchise quarterback. And it is still possible that the Dolphins find their franchise quarterback in the draft. If Tua declares, it is well within reason to believe the Dolphins might draft him at five. Uh, Obviously, there is an outside chance that the Dolphins could potentially somehow trade up to get Joe Burrow at number one, although I really strongly doubt that that is something that is going to happen. And it's possible that the Dolphins might not take Tua, even if Tua declares, even if he or he doesn't declare, it's possible that the Dolphins might find another quarterback. Jordan Love, uh, Justin Herbert is a guy that we've been told that the Dolphins have done a lot of work on. I don't know that He's somebody that I am thinking particularly high of. I think that's Ryan Tannehill 2.0. But regardless, it remains to be seen whether the Dolphins will end up with their franchise quarterback this year. And who knows? The Another possibility is that the Dolphins go through this draft and don't end up with their franchise quarterback through the draft. Maybe it's somebody that they get through free agency. Maybe they stack their picks and are able to continue to add draft capital through this year's draft, and they find themselves ready to ride with Ryan Fitzpatrick for another year and go into the following offseason to get their franchise quarterback. I know there's a lot of people who would be vehemently against that, and I and that totally makes sense. Look, we've been struggling for the last two decades to find a franchise quarterback, and I don't blame anybody for being impatient. But I think ultimately, at this point, while I think what we've established is that Brian Flores and his coaching staff have done a good job, and they seem to be the right guy, the right group of coaches for this team. Again, you don't want to say that too quickly because Adam Gase took this team to the playoffs in his first year and look what happened. But it seems like the culture and the a culture of accountability and making players play smart, um, it seems like Brian Flores is a much better man manager than Adam Gase. And I feel I'm cautiously optimistic that the Dolphins have finally found the right guy to coach this team, to lead this team. So in that respect, I would say the season has been a success. But I think in the big picture, it remains to be seen. It will continue to be a question mark, at least uh, for the next you know, four or five months, at least, heading into the 2020 season. With all of that said, Brain, let's quickly take a look back through the season and Come up with, uh, we've got a few awards that we want to do here. I think for a lot of these, we may have the same pick. So who is your Dolphins overall MVP of the 2019 season? Is there, is there any way in your brain that it wasn't Ryan Fitzpatrick? No, there's no way. I mean, it's, it's very obvious that this guy was everything for this organization. And, you know, this is where some people might say that it was the biggest mistake that this organization made bringing in Ryan Fitzpatrick, while other would, others would say that it was the greatest decision that this, that this team made in the offseason was bringing Ryan Fitzpatrick, depending on what side of the fence you sit on as far as how important it was to get the number one pick because had Ryan Fitzpatrick not been here 
I don't know that this team wins a game, and I certainly believe that this team has the number one pick. Uh, but I'll also say that if Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't here, I don't think that we get what we, what we got out of, uh, out of Devontae Parker. I don't think that we get what we got out of Preston Williams. And I just think that just, just the team as a whole, the energy and the buy-in that this team had, a, had as a whole, I think was a reflection, not just of Brian Flores and the coaching staff, but really of the energy that Ryan Fitzpatrick brought to the locker room and to the field that people lined up to play for Ryan Fitzpatrick and there's no, he was the unquestioned leader of this team ended up being a borderline top 10 quarterback and ended up leading the team in rushing as well. So he, he did everything for this team. Yeah. Unquestionably the MVP of the 2019 Miami Dolphins is Ryan Fitzpatrick. How about the offensive player of the year? I think this is it. If we are taking Ryan Fitzpatrick out of the running for this award, I think this award like by miles and miles has to be Devonte Parker. I think he has had an incredible season. We've talked about it at length on the podcast before. He finally had the breakout season that we've been waiting for his entire career. He finally started to look like the big time receiver that we thought he could be. And I just, I don't know that there's anybody else on this offense that if we're taking Ryan Fitzpatrick out of the situation, out of the equation, I don't know that there's anybody else that's even in the running for this award. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, look, there weren't too many standouts, uh, for the Dolphins team as a whole, but on the offensive side of the ball, it was essentially Ryan Fitzpatrick and Devontae Parker. And Devontae Parker, look, we said, I just said that Ryan Fitzpatrick was a borderline top 10 quarterback in the league. Well, Devontae Parker was a borderline top 10 wide receiver in this league. And we've been dying to see that since the day that we drafted him five years ago. And so for him to have that kind of performance, there's no question about it. Offensive player of the year, if we're taking Ryan Fitzpatrick out, it's got to be Devontae Parker. What about on the other side of the ball? This is where things, I think, get a little trickier because the Dolphins' defense struggled at times this year, but I think there were some players who had some pretty good moments and who really established themselves. Uh, there's you got a guy like Devon Godshaw, you've got Jerome Baker, you've got Nick Needham and Eric Rowe who sort of came out of nowhere in this season to really make themselves cogs of the team. I mean, you've got Xavier Howard as well, but he was injured about halfway through the season and, you know, didn't play the second half of the year. And the Dolphins can't blame them for being overly cautious with Xavier Howard, him being the star player and one of the cornerstones of this franchise going forward. So, Brain, who would you say is the defensive player of the year for the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, this one, this one was tricky. Uh, because I, I think there, there are a few different directions that you can go. I, I would say that none of the, none of these guys had, you know, amazing years. Everybody had their ups and downs. But what I'll say is that this guy, save for maybe one or two games over the course of the year, uh, and I believe he missed a game. When he was out there, he did his job. I think consistently better than any other player on this roster. I, I, I'd actually say it, it, it was between two guys for me. It was between Raekwon McMillan and Devon Godshaw just because of their consistency. And I honestly, I think it's Raekwon McMillan because 
look, he's never going to be a guy that is great in pass coverage, but he's going to be a guy that's going to to play with reckless abandon and 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 plug up holes and make tackles and stop the run. And pretty much every single game that he was out there, save for I think he had one or two bad games. Raquan McMillan played at a very high level and did his job. And so to me, that's the guy I'm going with just barely edging out Devon Godshaw. What about rookie of the year for the Dolphins? There's two prime candidates for me for this award, and it's it's Christian Wilkins and Preston Williams. And I think Christian Wilkins certainly grew into his role as the season went on and we saw some growth and progress from him, which I think is a really good thing. And it has you feeling good about how he is going to fit in to the Miami Dolphins defensive front as we move forward. But the guy who, for me, really made the most impact, and even though he didn't play the full season, he really showed us something. He started it in the preseason, he carried it over into the regular season, and had his season not been cut short by injury, I think he could have been one of the top receivers in the NFL, and that's Preston Williams. I just think he, with his growth, and his appearance onto the scene and with the emergence of Devontae Parker as a true number one wide receiver, what had looked like a pretty thin group talent-wise, you start to feel pretty good about heading into this offseason. So my Miami Dolphins rookie of the year is Preston Williams. Yeah, I think those are the definitely the top two candidates. I think honorable mention should be given to Nick Needham. Another undrafted free agent who stepped in, you know, what, five, six weeks into the season and really, you know, was basically thrown to the fire, just thrown right into the starting lineup. And then Xavier Howard gets hurt and he became, he becomes our number one corner. And I thought he did a serviceable job at that. Uh, so I thought Nick Needham definitely deserves some mention here. And I thought Christian Wilkins got better as the year went on. Didn't make a huge impact, uh, at least in, you know, in the stat sheet. And, but when you really look at what he did, a lot of times he put a lot of good reps out there where he beat his man, but he's in a position where he didn't, ha- between him and Godshaw, they just didn't have a lot of help around them. But I do agree that Preston Williams, as far as all of the rookies that they had, whether drafted or undrafted, Preston Williams, in the time that he was out there before his injury, made the biggest impact. And so I agree with you. He's going to get my Dolphins Rookie of the Year. I will say that it is uh, a little disconcerting when you look at this Dolphins draft and you say that two of the top three uh, Dolphins rookies this year were undrafted guys. One was your first round pick. And then you look at the rest of the draft and you're like, well, what else did we get out of this? Because you're looking at an offensive lineman that may or may not have a starting job next year. You're looking at another offensive lineman that spent majority of the year on the practice squad. And then, you know, uh, a, a few other guys, you know, Miles Gaskin got some play, but he's not really, you know, he didn't really show much this year. Uh, so a draft and, and then ultimately the biggest thing that you did in the draft was trading for Josh Rosen and he looked like an unmitigated disaster. So, uh, the, you know, while it, 
this is kind of a positive thing and you want to look at the positives as far as giving an award, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this was this is not a good looking draft that was put together by Chris Greer after one year. Well, we'll again, I think it takes a couple of years for us to truly draw, judge how the draft turned out. So we'll we'll have some time to simmer on that. That leads us to our final award as we get close to the end of the show here, Brain. What was your Miami Dolphins 2019 moment of the year? Now, is the, is this a positive moment, a negative moment, or any moment? I think it's what you think is the most important or impactful moment of the year. Could be positive, could be negative, could be neither. What is it for you? So for me, it comes down to two two games, and it's the the last two games of the year. On one hand, and th- and this is what I mean when I say you know this was like the eight as eight and eight as a five and eleven season can get is that even when picking the moment of the year, I'm not sure whether to go positive or negative, and I'm not sure which one is positive and which one is negative. But what I'll say is is that the game against the Bengals, winning you know to for us to build that big lead then blow that lead late and come away with the victory in overtime and cement that we will not get the number one pick was, to me, kind of the low point of the season because it it was all there f- for us. It was all there, and, and it would have been the most perfect way to get that number one pick by playing so well and then finding a way to lose the game at the end and get that number one pick by losing to the Bengals, who would then beat the Browns in Week 17. Of course, the fact that we would win the next week would ultimately mean that you know even had we lost to the Bengals the week prior, we still wouldn't have gotten the number one pick. But had we lost both, we would have gotten the number one pick. And then that leads me into the Patriots game, which winning that game to end the season on that note was the culmination of just how much this team overachieved and how much this team bought in and really could springboard them into the future. So the, the, you know, I'm torn between was it the moment where you blew the number one pick against Cincinnati or the moment where you ended the season on this unfathomable high note by beating New England in New England, which ultimately ends up forcing New England to play a, a wild card game and then lose. You could, you could honestly say that the Dolphins played a part. In and and then the fact that we traded Ryan Tannehill, who I know didn't have a very good game, but the Dolphins played a major role in potentially ending the New England Patriots dynasty. And so because of that, I'm going to go with that as the moment of the year, the Dolphins ending the season with a victory in New England. I'm actually going to agree with you. I'm actually going to get even more specific Because to me, the moment of the year is that entire final drive that Ryan Fitzpatrick led the Dolphins on after having somehow been up on the Patriots all day long. The Patriots take a late lead in that game. And, you know, if, if, if this is the same old Dolphins thing, this is where the Dolphins would predictably collapse and that would be the end of it. But this time around... 
Not only did the Dolphins come drive all the way down the field and end up winning the game, it was how they did it. We had Devontae Parker going up and mossing Stephon Gilmore, who was a lot of people's leading candidate to be the defensive player of the year. Devontae Parker just sort of owned him all day long. And really the highlight of it was that that big catch that he went up and just totally mossed Gilmore uh, on a big play to keep the Dolphins drive alive. And then the drive itself culminating with a touchdown pass to Mike Gesicki, somebody who all of us had sort of left for dead in the Adam Gase era. Gase was not able to really use him at all, was insisting that he was a blocking tight end. And this year we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick and Chad O'Shea really figure out a way to use Mike Kosicki as an offensive weapon, and he was much more involved in the passing game, was one of the better tight ends in the entire NFL, and to have him be the guy who catches the touchdown pass to give the Dolphins the victory over the Patriots, I think was just a really fantastic moment. And as I said on the show where we recapped that game, I don't want to say that we saw the balance of power in the AFC East shift in that game, but it was absolutely a sign that what has been the status quo for the last couple of decades is getting very close to changing. And it really left me with the feeling that things are looking up for the Miami Dolphins. So we head into this offseason on a positive note with that final drive being our moment of the year. So, Brain, that is going to wrap us up for this episode of the show. Um, before we get into all the plugs and all that, let's talk just very quickly talk about what are going to be our off-season plans here. We're not going to be doing regular shows as we would be doing um, during the regular season and and training camp, but we are going to be coming to you um, throughout the off-season with some uh, some different kind of content. Brain, talk about what you have got planned for all of the listeners here on DolphinsTalk.com. Well, look, we talked about this year, this 2019 season being a 17 game preseason and that ultimately it was just a precursor to the most important off season that the Dolphins have had in recent memory, uh, this 2020 off season. So if we're going to disappear for the 2020 off season, I just think we're not doing our job. So we're not going to, I'm not, we're not going to be here every week and we're not going to be here doing certainly not two shows a week as we did all regular season, but we will have shows. Now they might not always be the both of us. We've got a lot going on coming up here in the, in the next couple of months. I know, I know Josh has, you know, some big, big things popping up in, up in New York that he's got to take care of. My wife and I are, are uh, planning a move back to South Florida, coming home. So we'll be able to be with the fans in South Florida. That's not the reason that we're moving, but it will be nice. And it's something that we've been wanting to do. Uh, but. Over the offseason, we will have some shows basically getting ready for the draft and getting ready for free agency as this huge 2020 offseason heats up. If you've listened to the show, you know that Josh and I are not huge draft nicks. We're not big into scouting. We do read a lot of stuff and we listen to a lot of stuff. uh, And we've got some people that we trust 
uh, as far as their opinions. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get with a couple of my sources that I do trust who are big into scouting and drafting and, uh, and free agency moves. And I'm trying to get them on to have shows with me as we ramp up in the lead up to the senior bowl, then the combine, then of course free agency. And then before you know it, the NFL draft. And I'm sure that Josh and I will get on at some point before the draft and then after the draft to kind of, you know, give our thoughts uh, as far as what the Dolphins were able to accomplish. Hopefully we'll be talking about how the Dolphins have a quarterback of the future, but you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be more about making the right pick than the popular pick, but we'll get into that more as the off season plays out, but it's going to be an exciting time for, uh, for, for Dolphins fans. Cause we've been waiting for this. Look, the, this was a tough season to get through, but the payoff is first this, this off season with all this money and all these draft picks. And then second, year two of the rebuild in the Brian Flores era. And we're going to be here to cover it all uh, with you guys as the same old Dolphin show. And of course, as there are free agent signings and any other kind of big news off the field in this offseason, we will, of course, try to jump in as where possible to do emergency podcasts throughout the offseason. So um, we hope that all of you will uh, enjoy the show and subscribe to the show and join us as we embark on this new journey, as we take another step forward with our friends and partners at DolphinsTalk.com. In the meantime, Brain, remind everybody where they can find you. Can find me on Twitter at AaronTheBrain. And I am, of course, at Amplified to Rock. The show is at Same Old Dolphins. That's all on Twitter. At Facebook, we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins. We hope that you'll give us a like over there. And, of course, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can download, rate, review, and subscribe directly to the Same Old Dolphins show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. We really appreciate it. And you can also do that for the DolphinsTalk.com daily podcast, which we are now appearing in that main feed. So we hope that you will follow us over there because then you can get all of the other great podcasts from DolphinsTalk.com, the the flagship DolphinsTalk.com daily podcast, and there may be some other shows coming down the line on that main feed as well. This season, we had um, Tailgate Talk with um, Patrick Sertan and Aronde Gadsden, and so hopefully there will be more things like that down the pipe as well, so make sure that's all here in the main DolphinsTalk.com daily feed, so make sure that you are subscribed. And of course, there's a bunch of other Great podcasts on the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. You've got Two Old Dolph Fans, Fins Up, Fans Down, Perfectville, a lot of great shows, the Landon and Jeff show. So make sure that you are visiting DolphinsTalk.com every day. It is your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins. That is going to put a wrap, put a bow on the 2019 season. Thank you for being along for the ride. We appreciate everybody that has stuck with us and interacted with us throughout the season. Um, you really make this show worth doing. As, as the brain and I always say, we would be sitting down and having these conversations about the Dolphins anyway. So the fact that there are people out there that want to listen to us talk about it um, really, really means a lot. And, and for then you to follow us 
us on Twitter and to interact with us there. Um, it really, really means a lot. So thank you so much to everybody for following along with us this season. We would look forward to being in touch throughout the off season. And then of course the draft and into training camp and the 2020 season and beyond here on the same old dolphin show and dolphins talk Com. So in the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other, and we will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins!